Find, please, in your order of worship, the, um, there's an outline or some points after, right after um, the title of the, of the message. So it's on the, the inside uh, cover or inside second page, and you'll see some things that I'll talk about today. I'd be grateful if you'd follow along, and maybe uh, they'll be helpful this week as you um, reflect and pray and learn from maybe something from this morning. Adele is a a wildly popular, wonderfully gifted uh, pop singer. Uh, One of her songs is titled, Cry Your Heart Out. She sings, Cry Your Heart Out, It'll Clean Your Face. She reflects and interviews that the song uh, has to do with her divorce, the pain of her divorce, and then the, the health of, of grieving, the health of, of weeping. Sixty years before Adele, a gospel songwriter, a writer of uh, Christian songs, Iris Stamphill, wrote, He washed my eyes with tears that I might see. The broken heart I had was good for me. So Adele says, cry your heart out, it's good for you. Iris Stamphill wrote, the broken heart was good for me. And Jesus said, blessed or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the second in our weeks on the Beatitudes. Last week we saw blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize our spiritual poverty. And today we we concentrate on those who mourn and their comfort. As we learned last week, that word that's translated blessed or blessed is really hard to translate. There's not any one singular English word that, that gets the breadth and the depth of the word that Jesus used. Often it's It's translated happy. Happy are those who mourn, for example. But happy doesn't quite quite get it. This word that's translated blessed or blessed is a contentment. It's a peace. It's a strength. It's a real joy. So it's a contentment that runs deeper than your lowest valley and lasts longer than your party. Uh, It is a peace that will sit with you in the hospital and stand with you in the unemployment line. It is a strength that will hold your hand in divorce court and hold you up in the funeral of your closest loved one. And it is a joy. It's not a typical joy. It's a, it's a joy that no one and nothing can take away from you. And I, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but I have a lot of good books, and I think the best way to translate blessed is a joy that nothing and no one can take away belongs to those who are poor in spirit and those who mourn, and those who mourn will be comforted. Aaron Jackson has been, uh, where'd Aaron go? Did he leave? Where, oh, that, he got his thing over his face. He, Aaron has been, um, he's been teasing me. He said that it took Jesus about 60 seconds to pronounce the Beatitudes, and it's taken me eight weeks to, to talk about it. <laughs> And Aaron's right. But I'm not, um, I'm not improving on the Beatitudes. I'm unpacking uh, the Beatitudes. They are like the, the proverbial onion, you know, with all the layers. You've heard that metaphors like peeling an onion and 
These beatitudes of Jesus, they're so pregnant with meaning. They're so rich and profound and there's such breadth and depth. And so it's like peeling back layers and then it's like a multifaceted diamond. You, you can turn the diamond around and depending on the, the light that it catches, it will, you'll see something different. So, so today I want to try to reflect the various layers or the facets of this profound statement, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Find, follow along on your outline, please. First of all, some mourning is holy mourning or righteous mourning. It is a mourning over the wrongs of the world. Take, for example, a husband and wife who see that in the world there are lots of kids whose biological parents could not provide for them a healthy home. And so this husband and wife, their hearts break over that fact, and they decide to act on that. And so they decide to become foster parents or adoptive parents. And the way is not always smooth. It's not always a cakewalk, but they feel the smile of God when they look down at those kids who are now part of their family who previously didn't have a family. Or there's a woman who recognizes uh, that racism is not dead and that there are still racial disparities in our country and her heart breaks over that, but she decides to do something and people question her and they criticize her, but, but she's serious about it. So she begins to meet people who don't look like her and she has a new circle of friends and she gets people together to talk and, they, and, and she... And she feels the smile of God in making a difference. So some mourning is, is holy or righteous mourning. When we mourn over what's wrong in the world, well, that's a, that's a good thing as long as, we, as long as we act on it. Second, some mourning, some mourning is righteous and holy mourning. Second, mourning is part of the healing process. Mourning is part of healing. Some of us are tempted to mask our mourning. Some of us are tempted to minimize our mourning. And some of us are tempted to medicate our mourning. Some of us mask our mourning. We, we pretend we're not, how you doing? We're I'm good. You know, we fake it till you make it, right? We mask our mourning. Some of us minimize our mourning. We suppress it. We push it down so that we don't feel it. And some of us, even worse, are tempted to medicate our mourning. We're tempted to try and deaden or, or get rid of our, our pain, to deaden or minimize our pain by, by alcohol and, and illicit drugs. But Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time to weep, and there's a time to mourn. Joseph Hicks over here did a study on uh, the Beatitudes some years ago, and so I asked if I could borrow his notes. He let me, and, and he had a, a really interesting observation about those who mourn this Beatitude. He said, in Jesus' day, there were two popular Greek philosophies that had to do with grief or mourning. One was Stoicism. The other is Epicureanism. Stoicism is stiff upper lipism. You know, if we say somebody is stoic, that means they don't show their emotions. So Stoicism was like distance yourself emotionally, just become apathetic toward, choose not to feel your pain. Epicureanism is kind of like having a good, such a good time that you forget your pain. So it's kind of like drowning your pain in pleasure. Have such a good time, part of your way uh, out of pain. But biblical faith says, I will not 
deny my pain like the Stoics do, and I will not party away my pain like the Epicureans do. I will not deny the valley like the Stoics do. I will not party my way around the valley like the Epicureans do. I will, I will walk through the valley of grief. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David wrote, I will not be afraid for God is with me, but I will walk through the valley. I will experience grief. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. The thing is, if you don't weep well, it's hard to ever laugh well. If you don't mourn well, it's impossible to ever dance well. So mourning is part of the grief process. Like Sarah said a while ago, grief is it's a good thing. It is a God-given emotion. And I have a couple of suggestions. If you're struggling with grief, if you are mourning, there are a couple of ministries in this church you need to know about. One is Grief Share. They meet in the fall and they meet in the spring. It is specifically for people who have lost a loved one. If you're interested in Grief Share, you can see Alan Greer, who is our minister to experienced adults. You can call the church office or you can go to our website, fbchsv.org. There's a link to grief share. The second is called Stephen Ministry. It's trained, compassionate people who will walk alongside you through the valley. Loss of a job, uh, loss of health, uh, loss of a loved one, they will walk with you through that. Again, you can see Alan Greer, you can call the church office, or you can go to our website. There's a link to Stephen Ministry. The point is that mourning is healthy. And if you don't weep, it's hard to ever laugh if you don't mourn. It's hard to ever dance. Third, it's on your outline. You will never be all you can be until you hurt some. Andy Griffith, the sheriff in Mayberry, was known for his good judgment. His faithful and loyal friend and deputy, Barney, once asked him, how, he, how do you get good judgment? And he said, well, it's from experience. Well, how do you get experience? Barney asked. And Andy answered, you get kicked around a little bit. To hurt, to mourn, can be good for you. An anonymous poet wrote, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But she left me none the wiser for all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow. Never a word, said she. But all oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Sorrow can be good for you. Now, I would never say that to somebody who's in the throes of their grief. Someone just lost a loved one. I'm not going to walk up and say, you know, one day you're going to be really glad about this. That would be silly and insensitive and cruel. But the truth is that that God strengthens us and He deepens us. He strengthens our character and our heart when we, if we will let Him, when we, when we mourn, even of Jesus. And this is such an interesting thing to me. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, He learned obedience through His suffering. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews 5 verse 8 begins, Son, S-O-N with a capital S. Son, though he was, he learned obedience 
through his suffering. God the Son, walking in person on earth, though he was, he learned obedience through suffering. Suffering was good even for Jesus, and it's good for us. So some morning is... Um, is holy or righteous morning. Morning can, can be good. Morning is important, and morning can be good for you. You'll never be all you can be until you hurt some. Next, it's on your outline. Our morning can be, in fact, ought to be, as followers of Jesus, tempered by hope. Remember Ecclesiastes 3 from a moment ago. There's a time to laugh. Excuse me, there's a time to weep. But there's also a time coming to laugh again. There's a time to mourn, but there's a time coming to dance again. Psalm 30 verse 5 reads, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning, and the, the night may be long, and the night may be dark, but, but morning does come. Now, the full light of morning may never be experienced on this earth. The ultimate peace for our pain, the ultimate hope for our heartache, is not in this world. There is, though, uh, another world for those of us whose hope is in Jesus and not in our own goodness. This ain't all there is. And there's hope in this life, and, and, and those who mourn will be comforted in this life to a degree, and maybe to varying degrees. But there is a place beyond our last breath on earth. And the Bible says in Revelation 21 about that place, God will wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, and no more mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, no more crying, and no more pain. Blessed are those who mourn, whose hope is in Jesus and denied in their own goodness, because there's coming a day when, um, when we will be fully, completely, surprisingly comforted. Mourning is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. We've got to mourn. It's, it strengthens us. It's good for us. And everything I've said to this point is true about Jesus' words, blessed are those who mourn, because... Well, all of that, it's a multifaceted diamond. It's like a, an onion you peel layers from. There's so many truths wrapped up in this, this word, this phrase, blessed are those who mourn. But, but the most profound application of this phrase has to do with our spiritual mourning. It's on your outline. The deepest meaning of this beatitude relates to spiritual mourning. These Beatitudes, you see, they don't stand like silos separate in a field. They flow one from the other. They, well, they build on each other. 
So last week we said, we saw Jesus say, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who, who understand their spiritual poverty. Blessed, blessed are those who honestly acknowledge their desperate need for grace, for God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. They are blessed if they recognize they have a sin nature, an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, a, a chronic propensity for what the Bible calls sin. They recognize they have that, they're born with that and they can't fix that on their own. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now the second one, blessed are those who mourn, builds on this one. Blessed are those who understand their spiritual poverty, their desperate need for grace, and whose hearts break. Who are broken over our sin nature. Those of us who cannot rest because we recognize the depth of our sinfulness and the, and the breadth of the impact of our sinfulness on people that we love. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who mourn their spiritual poverty, for they will be comforted. James 4 is on your outline. This is so powerful. James 4, 8 through 10 reads, Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. That would apply to all of us. And purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Nowadays it feels more like we're managing our sin than mourning our sin. You know, 100, 200 years ago, there was a, down in the altar area, especially of country churches, there was a mourner's bench. It was a bench where they mourned. They, people come to the front in the altar, and they'd wail, and they'd mourn loudly. You know, we've gotten too sophisticated for the mourner's bench. Now we go to the counselor's office. Now, two quick things. I'm not suggesting that a bunch of histrionics or dramatics or, you know, a show will take care of our sin. And I'm sure not discounting the importance of counseling. I recommend people, refer people to counselors all the time. Been there myself. It's good for our questions. Counseling is, is so helpful for our wounds and our scars and our unresolved issues. But we can't just manage our sin. We can't just say, well, here's why, and, and it's okay, and here's how to deal. Until we mourn over our sinfulness, we'll never be healed from our sinfulness. We cannot manage our way out of a sin nature. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty and who are broken. A couple of weeks ago, I heard a sports commentator on the radio. He was so mad. There was a team he loved, was getting beat, and the camera panned over to the sideline, and the team was over there laughing it up, just having a big time. And he was so mad. He's like, I care more about that 
than they do. It's a thing. You can Google it. If you Google laughing on the sideline while the team gets beat on the field, you'll see a lot of articles and a lot of mad fans who write in, and you'll see big names, Tony Romo and Aaron Rodgers, famous football players, caught getting pummeled out on the field and laughing on the sideline. And it's, the fans get just hate that because it's like, I, I care more about this than you do. You're getting your big check, and you don't care if you get beaten. I care whether you get beaten. I don't know the mind of God, but I wonder if when we come to church and we don't express privately and publicly the brokenness over our sin, if it doesn't look to God a little bit like the team that's losing on the field and laughing it up on the sideline, to, to not mourn our sin is more serious than losing a game. It, it's about our spiritual health and maybe about our eternities. There's so many layers to this. Grief is good. Mourning is good. Don't ignore it. Walk through the valley. And, and yet the primary application is to those of us who are sinners and recognize it and who are broken over it. I want to close with a, a story that happened in this room a few months ago. It was somewhere around the beginning of March. And I was going through that series on the 12 steps for us all. Remember that? We walked together through the 12 steps for us all, believing that we all could learn from those biblical principles. And, and I didn't notice it. But um, a man experiencing homelessness walked in back there and sat right in that second, about the middle of that second, that back section over there. I, I didn't even notice after the service, I was standing outside this door greeting guests and others. And one of you came to me and said, there's a young man in there. Uh, I, I believe he's homeless and he's, he's just weeping uncontrollably. So I stepped in that door and I saw him. Uh, and sure enough, uh, it was a young man. He had his head on the back of, one of the pew in front of him. And, and it looked to me from where I was like he was really crying. But there were a half a dozen of you around him, and, and Alan was there, and I think Nancy was there, Greer. And so when I saw that there were people around him, I, I, I didn't come in. I kept greeting. I knew they would take care of it. And I learned later that he kept saying, I, I don't want any money. I don't want any money. I also learned later that Alan and Nancy bought him some medicine. But frankly, after after that morning, I didn't think another thought about him. We, we have a number of people experiencing homelessness who come through during the week, and I just didn't, I just didn't think about him again. Three months later, I was out at His Way, which is a residential treatment facility for men who are struggling with addiction and uh, hoping for recovery. <clears throat> It's over on Shields Road. I had, I had uh, spoken that evening. I did a little devotion and um, hung around talking with guys. And this young man walked up to me and extended his hand. And he said, my name is Mark. Well, I didn't know if he was a resident or a 
or on staff there. His eyes were clear, his back was straight, his words flowed confidently. My name is Mark, he said, and I owe you and your church a word of thanks. Well, I looked puzzled. He said, um, <clears throat> about three months ago, I was living under the bridge, and they told me the big church on Governor's Drive was serving lunch, so I came up for something to eat. I got there, and they, they weren't serving lunch, but they're having a service, and so I came in. And then he did like this. He said, your words were like they were aimed right at me. And that's not a testimony to my preaching. Just remember, we were going through the 12 steps. He said, like your words aimed right at me. And he said, at the end of the service, I just was overwhelmed and I lost control. He says, I was crying, I was crying. These nice people gathered around me. And they were so kind. And when I got myself together and I left, I thought, I've got to change my life. Then he did like this. And he said, and here I am. So Mark, two things about that story. Number one, thank you for being the kind of church that encircles instead of judges people who are poor in spirit. So thank you for that. But more importantly, uh, Mark was mourning his, his life condition. Until he mourned, uh, he didn't change. But in the depth of his mourning, he had enough good sense to know, I, I can't continue like this. And so he, he made his way to his way, to uh, recovery treatment program, and we pray for his success. James 4 says, come sinners, and that's all of us, and mourn, and wail, and the Lord will lift you up. And Jesus said, Joy that no one and no, nothing can take away belongs to the person who is broken over his or her spiritual poverty because they will be comforted.